Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Uh, take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So we uh, didn't really have the Christmas that we had hoped for uh, at our house. Um, leading up to Christmas, some of you might have heard my wife Molly got COVID. And then on Christmas morning, uh, Julia's fiance Chris tested positive, which really wasn't the Christmas they were hoping for. And then four days later, on the 29th, I tested positive. So we had everyone here for almost a full week. And there was about 24 hours when we could all be in one place at one time. So I am not too upset that the 12 days of Christmas are now past. I am rather gladder than the kids down here, at least, for the fresh start of a new year. A new year always creates space uh, to be thoughtful, to be intentional, uh, to be imaginative about what we hope for going forward. Um, I don't usually make resolutions, uh, but this year on Christmas Day, on this new year, I had a lot of time to myself. And so I actually ended up reading a lot of articles about resolutions. And most of them cautioned against, uh, you know, imagining that we can reinvent ourselves overnight. And uh, several of them had strategies for making resolutions meaningful. Uh, even after reading all those articles, I still was not convinced. I was more convinced by the more practical advice I heard when I was up late one night listening to one of, or watching one of the late shows. One of the uh, comedians said that his advice for uh, keeping resolutions was to dramatically, dramatically lower the bar. So the resolutions he uh, was attending to this year was that he was going to join a health club and then never go, that he was going to uh, write in a journal once. He felt reasonably confident that he could keep those resolutions. So I'm not keeping any resolutions at all this year. But I also don't want to miss the chance uh, that comes with the new year, a chance to be intentional about what we hope for, uh, what we want to do better, maybe the new challenges or the new adventures, the new projects that we want to take on. Uh, and after the 12 days of Christmas, it's also a chance for us to be intentional about the ways that the coming of Jesus can shape our lives, shape our life together. So as we heard earlier, this reading uh, moves us on from the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old, and as Kurt said, this is really the only account of that whole period between the nativity stories and the stories in the gospel of his, of his public life. And what's striking to me is this is a very human story. Uh, at Christmas, we hear about a miraculous birth. We hear about the appearance of angels. We hear about this star hanging over the sky guiding these, these mis mysterious characters from the east, the Magi, until they find their way to Bethlehem. But none of that's here in this story. There are no miracles. There's very little mystery about it. What we have is a family that is deeply formed by its faith, a family that's going up to Jerusalem, as they apparently did every year, for the festival of Passover. And then when the days of the festival had ended, they left. And the only reason we hear this story, I'm pretty sure, is that soon enough, they discover that Jesus is missing. And this is a very human story. Lisa's already told the story of going missing. Kurt talked of, uh, told his story of uh, being left behind. Well, I was a 12-year-old boy once, and I'm going to tell this story, too. <laughs> when I was 12, our family uh, spent a week that summer 
vacationing in Yosemite Valley. So I grew up in California. I grew up in the Central Valley. Yosemite is only about a two-hour drive away. And there was a period of, of four years, I think I was probably 10, 11, 12, 13, when we spent every summer in Yosemite Valley. And there were several other families that we knew well from our church who also went, and we would all get a cluster of cabins there uh, in the valley. And uh, we would all take our bikes, and we would ride everywhere in Yosemite Valley. We took inner tubes, and we'd float down the Merced River. Uh, they have buses that run through the valley. We'd, we'd just hop on and hop off. We'd go fishing. We'd go hiking. Our parents gave us a lot of freedom to come and go that week. And the one rule was some version of stay together. Well, I was a 12-year-old boy. So one afternoon, we were out hiking. It was my, I'm sure it was my brother and I, and we had a cousin and a friend, and as the afternoon wore on, they were kind of tired, they were ready to go back, and I was wanting to go on. Because when I'm on the trail, I always want to go a little farther. I always want to see what's around the next bend. And so I waved them off, and they turned around and went back, and I went on, and I was not worried in the least. I was 12 years old. I was in junior high. I was gonna be shaving soon. <laughs> Probably, anyway. Well, an hour or two or so later, I made it back to the cabin. And as I said, I had not been worried in the least. My mother was a little more worried. My mother, I discovered, was hold, had been holding on to a potent combination of anxiety and anger. They hadn't worried enough quite yet to call the rangers. They were getting close. When I walked into the cabin, all of that anxiety it dissipated, it disappeared. The anger, that endured, and it endured for a while. So I can imagine the tone in Mary's voice in this very human story when they get back to Jerusalem and find Jesus in the temple. Child, young man, in my case, Rodney Allen Stafford, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. At least as I read this story, Jesus is a typical 12-year-old boy. He does not seem worried at all. He's also not very apologetic. But this story also hints that Jesus is more, much more than just a 12-year-old boy. When he's found, he says to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house. And his parents, we told, didn't understand him, at least not yet. But as you read on in Luke, as you read on in the Gospels, it will soon become clear that Jesus is the one that the ancient prophets hoped for, the one they called Emmanuel, which in Hebrew literally means God with us. And this story makes clear that God has come to be with us in all of the humanness of our lives, that God has come to be with us every day. The holy days, the sick days, the ordinary days, the days when we are anxious, the days when we are angry, and the days when we hold both of those together at the same time. God has come to be with us with the grace that we need each day, with the wisdom that we need, with the hope and the purpose, the spirit, the loving kindness that we need each day. And so the lesson of this story here at the start of the new year is don't lose Jesus. Don't leave Jesus behind. In the account from Luke, Mary and Joseph had left Jerusalem, assumed that Jesus was somewhere among the group of travelers heading back to Nazareth. 
And again, as Kurt's story and my story, these are not hard to imagine. Uh, when we were vacationing in Yosemite, at the end of the week, every family would pack up. There's a whole caravan of cars that would go off. It's not hard for me to imagine that my parents assumed I would get in Uncle Don's station wagon, ride back with my cousins, and it only would have been when they stopped for gas in Merced for the trip home that everyone would have discovered Rodney's missing, and I would have heard about that for a long time too, I'm sure. This is a very human story. And as such, it also serves as a parable, a parable about losing Jesus and about finding Jesus. So this week, I've been thinking about this question how do we lose Jesus? Are there times, for example, that we take for granted that Jesus is going with us? Are there times that we assume Jesus comes along wherever we want to go? I know for me, it's easy to assume that Jesus always agrees with me, the views I hold, the choices I make, the priorities I set, the people I dislike. In one of her books, Anne Lamott writes, uh, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you hate. <laughs> it's easy to assume that Jesus is going to follow us rather than us following him. It's also easy uh, for us to get busy, to get distracted, get carried along in the momentum of just getting everything done that we have to do every day. We can go through days without grounding ourselves in the wisdom, uh, in the loving kindness, in the peace of Christ. And for me, those are the days when I find I have less patience, I have less compassion, I have more pettiness, I am more cynical. There are ways that we can lose Jesus, that we can leave Jesus behind. This week, I also found myself wondering if there are times that we need to leave some of our religion behind in order to not lose Jesus. Now, I think this is especially true if you've gone to church for a long time, as I have. Um, if you go to church for a long time, you accrue a lot of conceptions and a lot of certainties. And it's easy to start to, um, as, as Peter Rollins, who's an Irish philosopher, puts it, it's easy to start to believe your beliefs rather than believing, trusting, following, loving Jesus. Uh, Mark Sporg wrote a book with a really interesting title once. It was titled, um, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. And the first part of the book is autobiographical. He writes about growing up in a very religious household. He writes about growing up with pretty fixed and rigid uh, and transactional beliefs about Jesus. And it was only when he left those parts of religion behind that he could find Jesus, that he could find a deep and a personal and an authentic life with Christ, that he could meet Jesus again for the first time. So for me, this story from Luke 2 uh, functions as, as a cautious parable about the ways that we can lose Jesus, but it's also a hopeful story about finding Jesus. In the story, Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem, they find him, and then they go home together. It makes me wonder, where are we looking for Jesus? In the year ahead, how are we going to welcome Christ into our lives and into our homes and into our work and into our world? How are we going to make room for more love, for more joy, for more peace and patience and kindness and goodness? The New Year always creates space to be intentional about the ways that the coming of Jesus can shape us and shape our life together. 
So I want to encourage you in this year ahead to be intentional about prayer. Don't worry too much about whether you're doing it right. I'm grateful for the advice that Marlene Krupp published once when she wrote, pray as you can. Pray as you can. Pray in the morning before the house awakes or pray on your commute to work or pray in the evening when you're on a walk with your dog. If you're not sure what to say, uh, say the Lord's Prayer. Or in the back of our worship book, uh, Voices Together, there's a, there's a whole section of prayers. Or just be still. And if you miss a day, that's okay too. When I pray in the mornings, um, I, have, I have three intentions this year that shape my prayers. Uh, to receive life as a gift, to see people as neighbors, and to not be afraid. To receive life as a gift, for me that evokes prayers of gratitude. To see people as neighbors, that's when I ask for more grace and wisdom and understanding than I usually have. And to not be afraid, that's when I name my anxieties. And trust that the perfect love of God can cast out our fears. However you do it, pray as you can. And the second, I want to encourage you to, to nurture friendships. And to nurture friendships with the kind of people with whom we can be open and vulnerable. People with whom we can talk deeply about life and faith and our questions and our hopes. And I hope you can find those kind of friendships here at Portland Mennonite Church. And one of the ways we do that is through small groups. And there's a lot of groups, a number of groups that meet in different places, different times, and take on very different forms. And if you'd like to be part of a group, if you aren't yet, uh, then check in with Kristen, who's working with our small group committee. And then third, I want to encourage you to find ways to be actively engaged in the works of mercy and justice because often Jesus is found in the guise of our neighbors, and especially those who are most vulnerable. And uh, you know, if you look in the bulletin this week, there's an opportunity to go volunteer at Night Strike downtown on Thursday. Uh, there's opportunities to volunteer with Family Promise, and then we're gonna be hosting families here at the start of February. There are dozens of ways to do it, but if you wanna find Jesus, that's a pretty good way to look, by being engaged in the works of mercy and justice. So, at the start of this new year, be intentional about looking for Jesus, about welcoming Jesus. Jesus who promises, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Thanks be to God. Amen.